As you may be able to tell, we are, uh, we are baptizing people today, uh, and uh, it was really neat because Thursday I, uh, was my 30th birthday, and we got to celebrate through baptism, so I'm just excited to keep this thing going. So what we're going to do is we're going to be talking about baptism specifically this morning. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to open them up to the, the book of Romans. We're going to be in Romans, uh, so if you're not sure where Romans is, it's on the right side of your Bible. Go past the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, past one more called Acts, and then you'll get to Romans. I will be in chapter 6 this morning, Romans chapter 6. Uh, if you do not own a Bible, please see someone in the lobby. Find somebody out there. We want to get the Word of God in your hand. That's one of the most important tools you can have. Um, but if you don't have one with you, we also have the scriptures up here on the screen as well. So now before we begin, I want to ask everyone a question. I want to get you all engaged this morning. And just raise your hand if this applies to you. Who in this room, or maybe whoever's listening to me uh, online, um, whoever under the sound of my voice, if you've ever been to a funeral in your entire life, would you go ahead and raise your hand for me? Go ahead and raise your hand. All right. So pretty much everyone in this room has been to a funeral before. Um, Now, Maybe when you even hear the word funeral, like I, I do, it, it kind of stirs certain emotions in you. Um, you know, maybe even as I said that word, you, your mind went back to a difficult memory. Maybe of someone you lost that was close to you. Or maybe a funeral of a distant friend or acquaintance that you were invited to to support them. But normally when we associate when we talk about funerals, we associate them with words like weeping, or loss, or death, or pain, suffering. You know, and, and nobody really looks forward to going to funerals. You know, I mean, it kind of, they give you kind of those, that, that, that your stomach, it gives you that weird feeling in your stomach. Maybe you get butterflies when you, you go in, especially, you know, if there's, if there's a casket and there's a body in there. Um, it's, it's not something that we look forward to. Now, what if I were to tell you this morning that you've come to a funeral service? What if right now, maybe you're unaware of this, you're going to join in corporately in burying some people. I know this service might have just taken a complete twist on you this morning. You're like, wait a second. Now before you start freaking out and wondering, man, did people die that I was not aware of? Because we're about to bury not just one person, but multiple people are about to be buried. Now let me assure you, nothing's happened to them physically, okay? In fact, they're, they're alive and well over here. To this room on my left, on your right. However, they have died to something much more profound. Okay? Much more important. They've died to the thing that has been separating them from God. Their sin. And their casket is right here. 
Look with, look with me here at Romans chapter 6. The Apostle Paul writing to the church at Rome says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ... We believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Hallelujah. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. That is the word of God. So what we see here in these, in these 14 verses is the Apostle Paul is giving us a parallel between Christian baptism and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And now, what's interesting is if you look at the, the two, we might call them sacraments, or um, ordinances, or practices, that Jesus commanded his believers, his followers, to partake of in the New Testament, both of them point back to him. Both of them point back to his life, his death, and his resurrection. Those two sacraments being baptism and the Lord's Supper. So if you're familiar with the Lord's Supper, we may, we may call it communion. Right? We partake of the bread, which represents the body of the Lord that was broken for us. Right? We take the cup that represents the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. Those are remembrances Jesus said, every time you eat and drink, do this in remembrance of me. Take of my body, take of my blood. They point us back to what Jesus did on the cross at Calvary. Then we come to baptism. 
Baptism not only brings us back to, reminds us of his death, but it also reminds us of his resurrection. Now, I want you to think of these baptismal waters as a burial ground. Because to a Jew, that's what water represents. Do you know in Jewish culture, especially during the time that the New Testament was written, the sea, the ocean, water, generally speaking, was seen as a place of death. It was seen as a place of burial. Why do you think hell is called the lake of fire? It's likened to water. Revelation says, and the sea, the sea, the water gave up the dead who were in them. So when a Jew sees water, they see death, burial, putting to rest. That's what that water is going to do to people this morning. We're going to put to rest the body of sin. The thing that has separated them from their Lord. That's what baptism is. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. I want you to see what he says here. Verse 10. Talking about Jesus. He says, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In addition, Paul also says that just as Christ, this is verse 4, was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And then we'll see this again. And if you read any letters of the Apostle Paul, there's this, there's this theme of death and life, death and life, death and life. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is Galatians chapter 2, where Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. So there's this idea that, Paul saying, I actually died with Christ. Me, Paul, the old persecutor of Christians, the old insolent opponent of the gospel, the old killer of those who followed the way. Paul said, I actually was crucified with Christ. Now, was Paul actually crucified? No. But what he's saying is, symbolically, I have put to death those things which have separated me from God, my sin. I've put them in the grave. Move to another one of Paul's letters, 2 Corinthians. He says, therefore, if any man is in Christ, guess what? He's a new creation. A new creature. The old is gone, buried, dead, put to rest. The new has come. So not only are we putting people to rest, we're also celebrating new births. It's also, while it's a funeral service, it's also a resurrection service. 
And this is the only time you will experience both of those in the same setting. Think about that. The old is now buried. And it's not a sad funeral. It's a joyful funeral because we're putting to rest the dead man, the spiritually dead man. And we are celebrating the birth of the new man in Christ. Because the people that are going to be baptized today are basically, what they're saying is, I don't live anymore. Guess what? It's Christ who lives in me. May he manifest himself in my life. May he manifest his desires in my life. May he manifest his will in my life. May he manifest his passions in my life. May he manifest his commandments in my life. May he manifest everything he would desire to do through me so that I may represent him. People shall no longer see me, but they shall see Christ. That's what we celebrate in baptism. But the Apostle Paul makes it very clear Because he uses a preposition in here that we've got to take note of. Because at first when I read this, I had to think about it. Because on one hand, I'm like, wait, wait a second. He's writing to a church. So why why wouldn't he just assume these people have already died with Christ and are raised? They're saved, right? The church at Rome, one of the strongest bodies in the history of the early church, at least, that we know of. Look what he says in verse 5. He says, for if, okay, he's not assuming anything. He's saying, for if we have been united with him in a death like his. If A has taken place, then B will happen, and B is, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And just to make himself clear, he repeats himself in verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. The point being, you can only resurrect something that has died. Right? Does that make sense? You, you You can't resurrect something that has not been put to death. Jesus couldn't have resurrected Lazarus if Lazarus hadn't died. Jesus himself couldn't have been resurrected from the dead if he had not have died. So Paul is saying, yes, if you have died with Christ, if you have put to death the sins of the body, if you have buried those things, then yes, you shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now, why baptism is so important is, just like in the natural, we can't bury somebody that has not died. Are y'all with me? Y'all wait? You can't can't bury, like, you would never, I hope you would never, Bury somebody alive and put them in a casket and put them underground. We don't, we don't do that in the natural, right? That's just, no one would do that. Just as it is in the spiritual, the only people we can bury in baptism are those who have been crucified with Christ. 
We're putting them to rest. And the scripture says, if you put to death the sins of the body, the flesh, your worldly passions. That's what this is all about, church. And really, then the question is then given to us. Have we died to that which has been separating us from God? Have we truly died to the things that perhaps the Lord has been saying, I want you to release them? One of my favorite stories in the scriptures about Abraham. And you may know the story. It's a popular Bible story. But Abraham waits so long for the promised seed. The son that God said he would give him. He waits years and years and years and years Until eventually he takes matters into his own hands and says, well, God, if you're not going to do this, then I guess I'm going to have to do it. He takes Hagar, his maidservant, and he impregnates her, gives birth to his son Ishmael. But that wasn't the fulfillment of the promise. God said, I will give you a son who is of your seed. So he waits and waits and waits and waits some more. And finally, his wife Sarah, beyond the natural birthing age, gives birth to the promised son, Isaac. And this is a day that I'm sure was probably perhaps the most difficult day in Abraham's life. When God said to him, I want you to take your son up the mountain, up Mount Moriah to a place that I shall show you and sacrifice him. God was asking Abraham, the father of the faith, to give up the one thing that he had been waiting so long for. The promise that God had promised him. God says, Abraham, I want you to release him to me. And Abraham had to make a decision that day. I think a decision that could have turned the course of biblical history. Abraham decided in his heart that day to obey God. And said, God, okay. God, you promised me this son, but if, you're go- if you want me to give him up to you this day. The son that I've waited for, that I've wanted so bad. But if you're asking me to lay him at your feet and give him up, I will do it. And the scripture says, by faith, Abraham obeyed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. By faith, Abraham took his son up that mountain. By faith, Abraham bound Isaac, laid him on the altar before the Lord. And Isaac asked, Father, where, where's the offering? Abraham says to his son, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. And as soon as Abraham was ready to sacrifice his son, the Lord did provide. A ram in the thicket was, had appeared to him 
the angel of the Lord told Abraham to stay his hand. And he did. And this story, I think, signifies what it means to lose your life to Jesus Christ. Now, God might not be asking you this morning to take your son or to take your daughter up a mountain and kill them. But he may be asking you to kill some other things. I don't know what that is, but the Spirit of God is searching your heart and and he knows what that is. Perhaps you're attached, too attached to something right now that's separating you from God. Maybe it's a love for money and you are not willing to let that thing go. And you're, you're saying, I'm going to pursue this in the face or instead of pursuing God because this is my God. Or maybe, maybe you are too attached to another person that is derailing you from a relationship with God. Maybe it's a person that's leading you away from God. Or maybe for you, you're not willing to release control to the Father. Because that's ultimately what it's about, is releasing control over to him and saying, Lord, which means master, here it is. Whatever you shall ask for, I will give it to you. That's the decision that the Lord is asking you to make. Now that's a decision you have to make. I can't make it for you. Your parents can't make it for you. Nobody else on this planet can but you. But let me just give you a little bit of insight into the God to whom you would be releasing control to, okay? This may help this decision become a little bit easier. The God you are giving control over to, first of all, listen to this, he knows everything. I don't know if you knew that, but everything that could be known, God knows. Just think about that for a second. Past, present, future, everything about you, he knows. The number of hairs on your head. God says, for I formed you. I created you. I know your innermost parts. God knows everything about you, okay? Settle that in your heart. Now combine it with this. He's all good. I'm I'm preaching a God to you that is all-knowing. And secondly, combine with having all knowledge, in his very being, he is nothing but goodness. So that would mean anything he does and or speak over you, into you, about you, is good. Whether you can see it or not. And to top it all off, let's throw in the third ingredient. He's all-powerful. Does that give you confidence this morning? Does that give you faith to release your life to a type of God that not only knows everything about you, not only is he fully good, but he's also in total control. Nothing can stay the hand of the Lord. Nothing is too hard for our God. He is called the most high God. That means nothing is above him. So, oh man, I wish somebody would have preached this to me 
the night before I had to make this decision. Because when I sat there on that night, October 8th, 2013, I was thinking, okay, I know he wants me to do this, but I didn't really know the character of God. I'm thinking, but if I give up control of my life and my dreams, then he might ask me to go be a missionary in Africa, and I don't want to do that. Or he might, you know, tell me that now you have to go to church every single day, and you have to read the Bible seven hours a day, and you have to pray four hours a day, and I just don't want to do that. That's the God I had in my head, but little did I know, the God that I was releasing control to made me, created me. And if he wanted me to do something, he would put those desires within me. He would will himself through me so that what I would want would be what he would want. What an incredible God. What a what a God that would choose to do such a thing. And I will never regret the decision I made that night to say, Lord, I release everything to you. I release my desire to be a golf professional. I release my desire to marry this person. I release my desire to go after wealth. I release my desire. I give it to you. And not a single day has passed that I don't look back on that night and say, that is where my life changed for the better forevermore. And your life can change right now. But you have to make that decision. But it is the best decision you could ever make to follow the Lord Jesus. Because he's a good, all-powerful, and all-knowing God. Share one scripture with you and then... uh, we're going to do some baptizing. Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verses 24 and 25, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. That sounds contra- like a contradiction. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? That's the invitation to you this morning. 